Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Let's hear the word of the Lord. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. That is, Jesus was in the tomb, they thought. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Let's pray. Holy and righteous Father, we come once again under the hearing and the authority of your holy word. We've just read something here of the events, some of the events surrounding the resurrection of our Lord Jesus from the dead. Open up the truth of your word to us. May what happened on that resurrection day become clearer to us. And may our faith grow stronger and our vision clearer of the resurrected Christ and what this means for us and for all your people. Yes. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Christ is risen. He is risen, risen indeed. indeed. This was the confession of the first disciples and its truth and power transformed their lives. It brought them out of despair into hope. It brought them out of depression into exaltation. It brought them out of grief and into joy. This is what the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead on the third day has been doing for his people for 2,000 years. Besides Christ's crucifixion, it's the most important event in the whole history of humanity and the history of the universe. It's a life-transforming and life-saving event for all who believe. Do you believe today? I do. Do you believe, as the Nicene Creed says, for our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried on the third day. He rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. This is the confession of the Christian church for the last 17 or so centuries. Well, how do we come to believe these things? 
We come through hearing and reading the message of the gospel. The almighty maker of heaven and earth uses his word to teach us of his son and of himself and of his spirit and of his will for our lives. The word of God is living, active, and powerful. It works deeply in our minds and hearts to give us knowledge and understanding and faith in God, our Heavenly Father. How blessed are those who read and understand and believe the Word of God. So let us come before His Word today with an eager mind to learn and understand and believe. Now, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark for over a year now, and we've arrived at the last chapter, chapter 16. As is true of all of the four Gospels, the last chapter or two are devoted to the resurrection, to explaining, describing the resurrection of the Lord Jesus from the dead. Nothing like this had ever happened in the history of the world, and nothing like this will ever happen again. But its truth and power, its reality is ongoing, it never ends, and it's here for us today to read about it, to think about it, meditate on it, pray about it, and I ask God to give us understanding. Like those uh, early disciples who encountered Jesus, they, they knew him, they walked with him, they lived with him for three years. Here in our modern age of computer and technology, we want to do the same thing. Life is much different today. The outer trappings of society are constantly changing at breakneck speed. But Jesus doesn't change. Mm -hmm. Nor does our need for Him change. Yeah. We need Him. We need to know Him. We need to follow Him. We need to be found faithful in a culture around us that has lost its way and doesn't know truth from error. Well, it is actually a great adventure to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. But it's not an easy road to follow. But it's the only road to heaven. The only road to eternal life. The only road to fellowship with the living God. So let's continue this journey together as we see what the Lord would show us in Mark chapter 16. Now this chapter is probably the most unusual chapter in the Bible because if you look in your Bible, you'll see a note after verse 8 that tells us that the earliest manuscripts of this gospel do not have verses 9 through 20 in them. Well, almost all Bible students and theologians believe this is a rather strange way to end the gospel, it leaves us hanging in the air. It seems incomplete. It needs further elaboration. But what happened to the ending of Mark? It seems like it was lost. We don't really know what happened. Uh, we don't know how, which we believe there must surely have been more, how it got separated. Or maybe Mark somehow got interrupted and couldn't finish it. We don't know what happened. But we know that the church later 
added this second half, verses 9 through 20, in order to bring some summary of the Christ event and some completion of the book. Uh, it does summarize some of the resurrection events in the other Gospels and adds uh, one or two pieces of information not found in them. But it's been the agreement, the consensus of Bible translators that it's an important part of this gospel and it needs to be included in our Bibles. So, uh, there we have it. But today we're only going to consider verses 1 through 8, which uh, there's no doubt that that is part of the gospel of Mark. Well, see, we need to understand that the writing and the transmission of the biblical text, it was a dynamic event. And it was subject to many stresses and difficulties. It was not just ordinary routine. It was through the Holy Spirit guiding and preserving His words so that His people would have an accurate record of the Word of God of his actions and revelations in history, especially all the events and teachings surrounding the Lord Jesus Christ. So what emerged over the centuries was our New Testament and its writing, its compilation, its transmission was superintended by the Holy Spirit so that what we have is inspired by the Spirit, Word of God. It's inerrant. It has no errors. It's infallible. It's authoritative. It's accurate, so we can believe the Word of God and trust it and believe in the Jesus it reveals and put our faith in Him for eternal salvation. Now, last week we heard from chapter 14, Brother Wayne preached about Jesus' agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he had good reason to be in agony because he knew full well what lay ahead on the cross, the weight of the sins of all his people, of all ages, of all nations, tribes, and tongues was to be put upon his shoulders. And then God's wrath against those sins would be poured out upon Jesus. It was so terrible that when he did undergo that ordeal, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was forsaken by his Father for a time because of our sins so that we who believe in him would never have to be forsaken. Um, the scripture says in the Old and New Testament, God says to his people, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Precious words to us. Well, <clears throat> let's look at our text here. Mark 16, 1 through 8. We read in verse 1, well, let's look, look back at uh, the previous chapter, the last verse. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. They saw where Jesus was placed in the tomb. Uh, so when the Sabbath was passed, he was placed uh, in the tomb after his death on the cross. But when the Sabbath was passed, that was Saturday... Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Well, 
we read in the Gospels that there was a group of women that followed the apostolic band to uh, minister to them. Uh, so we assume they probably cooked, uh, maybe washed, helped wash their clothes, and just, you know, what they'd go, they could do to help out the, the apostles and Jesus in their ministry. And they were uh, from Galilee. They were very devoted followers, and they include such people. The most famous was Mary Magdalene, uh, from whom seven devils, seven demons were cast out. She was very devoted. <clears throat> um, and you notice here that they were the first ones to go to the tomb. All the apostles were back there, the disciples in an upper room, huddled, scared to death. But here the women and their devotion went out to the tomb. Uh, they went to anoint him. Now, you may remember that Nicodemus came to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus Christ that he might bury it. And uh, he had help from another believer and they went and prepared his body for burial. They, they, uh, I think they bought like 75 pounds of different uh, uh, substances to, to pack the body in according to Jew Jewish burial custom and they, they prepared his body for burial. But these women wanted to come and anoint him not to keep the body from corruption but as an act of devotion and the proper treatment of a body. Now, you may remember uh, there was a time when Jesus' body was anointed for burial uh, when the woman came and, when the woman came and poured a, a vial of expensive nard on his head and the other disciples were mad why was all this wasted? It's a year's worth of wages. It's crazy. Jesus said, don't interfere. What she's done is a beautiful thing. She's anointed me for my burial. And what she has done will be remembered wherever the gospel is preached. So he had actually been anointed for burial by this woman. Uh, so even though they were going to anoint him, when they got there, he wasn't there. They couldn't do it. But he had been anointed by the other woman. Well, this, uh, it's interesting here that the first witnesses to the resurrection were women. In the uh, culture of that day, women, according to R.C. Sproul, were equal to uh, Gentiles or slaves in the value of their testimony in court. So they were like second-rate citizens. So the fact that the first witnesses to the gospel were not men but women lends a note of authenticity to the gospels. Amen. That they weren't just put together to make them look good, but what actually happened was recorded. And it was women who came. Now, you may remember 1 Corinthians 1, 26. Paul says this, Brothers and sisters, consider your calling not many were wise from a human perspective and not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what's foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what's insignificant and despised in the world 
what is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing what is reviewed, viewed as something so that no one may boast. So here are these women who were looked down upon in their culture were the ones who came to anoint Jesus in their devotion. <clears throat> well, uh, so they came. They had been there. They had seen where the body was laid. They saw the body being buried. The disciples weren't around, but the women were. Okay. Uh, so, these women's devotion is magnified. Now, notice this. They're going to the tomb, and they know there's a big round stone that is rolled across the entrance. The tombs in those days were like caves. And so they said, well, who's going to roll the stone away? That thing is massive. It maybe weighed a, a half a ton or more. And so they were talking about that as they left early in the morning, around dawn. But you know what? <clears throat> they could have said, uh, let's just stay home. You know, we're not going to be able to get in that tomb. But they didn't. They went forward in faith. They went forward in faith, not knowing how they were going to get in that tomb. But they were devoted to Jesus. They wanted to do that for Him. So they proceeded ahead. And when they got there, the Lord had taken care of the problem. Mm -hmm. Because we read in one of the other Gospels that a, a mighty angel came down from heaven and rolled the stone away, and the guards were terrified and shook and fell down. Well, this must have happened, of course, before the women, these women, arrived. <clears throat> so, in our own lives, we need to think about this. There may be obstacles ahead of us, but let's not let obstacles hinder us from moving ahead in our devotion and faith in Christ. Mm -hmm. Just like these women. Examples for us. And we saw, and uh, we see in verse 4 here that they came, and when they got there, the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. So we see the removal of the stone. God will do what is needed. To glorify His Son and accomplish His purposes on the earth. Now, someone has said the stone wasn't rolled away so Jesus could get out, but it was rolled away so the disciples could get in. Mm -hmm. Right? A little stone wasn't going to keep the resurrected Christ from coming out of that tomb. Well, the angels have a very important message. The angel, singular here. Uh, to give to the women. Now, it says here, entering the tomb, verse 5, they saw a young man sitting on the right side. Very interesting. We see this in the Gospels. These minute details are given. They remembered. When they walked in the tomb, he was sitting on the right side. Not on the left side. Not in the middle. He was sitting on the right side. See, this is testimony of eyewitnesses. For some reason, it struck them that he was sitting on the right side. 
And he was dressed in a white robe. Now, some of the other Gospels tell us that it was shining bright. Um, so he begins to talk to the women. And he says, they were alarmed. Whenever mortals meet angels from heaven, they're naturally alarmed, as we would be also. And so the angel says in verse 6, do not be alarmed. He could obviously see they were probably shaking. Trembling, he said, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. Now, let's notice two things that the angel says here, important. How did the angel describe Jesus as being from Nazareth? He didn't describe him as a prophet. He didn't describe him as a son of David, but this simple description, Jesus of Nazareth. He was from Nazareth. That's where he worked. He was a carpenter in the town. And so a very human, worldly, anchored description of Jesus and his humanity. He was a citizen of his town, of his culture. And this is how the angel describes him. Jesus of Nazareth. This is the way, he's, the way he's often described. Well, and look what it says here also. The next thing he says about the, uh, Jesus is that he was crucified. Now, there are many things that the angel could have said about Jesus. He said, well, this was Jesus at whose birth the angels sang in the heavens. Or this was Jesus who fed the 5,000. This was Jesus who calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee. This is Jesus who changed the water into wine at the wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. But no, he didn't say any of those things. He says one thing about him. He was crucified. He focused their attention on the most important thing he came to do was to die on Calvary's cross for the sins of his people. Well, <clears throat> says he was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Some of our translations say he is risen, he has risen. <clears throat> if we actually go back, <clears throat> well, the King James Version, for example, says he is risen. And so many, most of our English translations say he has risen, he is risen, he's not here. And so the church has developed this wonderful custom that we've done today. On resurrection morning, we say he's risen, he's risen from the dead indeed. Actually, though, if we look at the original language, we see that this verb here is in the passive. As a passive verb means something happens to you. You don't do it yourself. It happens to you. So the idea here is he was raised. Okay, He was raised. Uh, uh, he was resurrected. 
There was a power that came from outside upon Jesus in the tomb. God was raising Him from the tomb. Not that He didn't have the power as the Son of God to raise Himself, but the focus of the New Testament is that it was the work of God the Father to raise His Son from the dead. For example, when Peter's preaching in Acts chapter 2, in the city, he says, This Jesus, verse 23, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you, he's pointing to the people in the city, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up. You tried to do something, but you were opposed by God. You killed him, but God raised him up. Loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So the New Testament, over and over again, when it speaks of the resurrection of Jesus, speaks of the Father raising His Son. For example, uh, Romans 10.9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. God raised Jesus from the dead. You believe that, you will be saved. Well, the angel has a lot to say, actually. He says next in verse 7, Go tell his disciples that he's not here. And a second command he gives them. Tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now, we know this is an angel of the Lord because what he said came to pass. I mean, it was obvious, looking at him, that he was an angel of the Lord. But what he said came to pass. He said, he will meet you in Galilee. And he did. And notice this. He says, go tell his disciples and Peter. Now, he specializes Peter. He points out Peter. And there's a reason. He did this because Peter was the one, not the other 11, but Peter was the one when he was being tried that he denied he knew Jesus three times. I don't know the man. He cursed. And when the uh, rooster crowed the second time, Jesus looked at Peter. And Peter knew that he'd committed a great sin. He had denied the Lord before everybody else. And so he left. He was so ashamed. He went away and wept. Well, this is a terrible thing that Peter had done. But Jesus came to him. It says on Resurrection Day in one of the other Gospels and had a private meeting with Peter to assure him of his forgiveness, his restoration. And then later when they went to Galilee... On the shore, after Jesus had fixed breakfast, Jesus had a private conversation with Peter and said, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. So he was commissioning Peter to the ministry. He had denied the Lord, but he wasn't washed up. He was commissioned by Jesus Amen. to go and teach my disciples. So, we all sin. We all make mistakes. 
But Jesus comes to restore us and to put us back or put us into his service. And so we see that the Lord had a special care and concern for Peter because he sent an angel from heaven to tell the women and go tell Peter, especially Peter among the twelve, that he's going to meet with you. So the angel had divine authority to issue this word of, of forgiveness, of restoration, of, of fellowship with the living Christ and command to tell the women to go tell the others. Well, it says here in verse 8, they went out and they fled from the tomb. They ran away as fast as they could. They were trembling. They were astonished. They were in a state of shock. And they said nothing to anyone. For they were afraid. They were full of fear and shock. They couldn't speak. But we read in one of the other Gospels, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 8, says this, So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. So evidently what happened, when they left there, they were so shook up, it took them a while to regain their sense of balance. And so what they did, they decided, we better obey the angel of the Lord. He told us to go tell the disciples of Peter, we cannot keep this to ourselves, we've got to go do it. And so Matthew records that, and behold, as they were going, running to tell his disciples, Jesus met them and said greetings and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him so you see in obeying the command of the Lord through the angels the blessing that came upon them they met the risen Christ they were able to grab his feet see he was physically resurrected from the dead remember Jesus said don't hold on to me I have to go to my father and, and your father in other words, I'm, I need to ascend at some point well, some great lessons here that we are learning. Now, you see, the resurrection was the astounding culmination of Jesus' incarnation. It, it shows us many things. It's crucial to the foundation of Christianity. One thing that the resurrection shows us is that the incarnation of the Son of God into human flesh like our own was a permanent state for the Son of God. It wasn't a temporary incarnation. It was permanent because God raised him from the dead. His body was a resurrected body. And in addition, Christ's resurrected body laid the groundwork for the resurrection of all of his people. 2 Corinthians 4.14 says, Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus 
and bring us with you into his presence. Jesus, the Bible tells us, was the first fruits. The first fruits is the early harvest on the fruit tree, which gives a foreshadowing of the greater harvest to come. So Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection for his people who would follow. You see, Jesus' resurrection from the dead signaled God's acceptance of his death as payment for our sins and the importation of Christ's righteousness to his people. The resurrection of Christ showed that that God was approved, he approved, he accepted his sacrifice as a payment for our sins. The resurrection verified this, confirmed this. The resurrection is central to Christianity. No resurrection, no Christianity. Paul said, if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, we are all men the most foolish. We ought to just eat, drink, and be merry. Because this is all we got. Nothing else is going to follow. But, Paul says, Paul, uh, Jesus was resurrected from the grave. In fact, Belief in the resurrection is necessary to be saved. If you don't believe in the resurrection, you can't be a Christian. You have to believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that God raised His Son from the dead. This is Bible truth, gospel truth, revealed truth, confirmed by the Holy Spirit. A person has to believe this in order to be saved. Well, the resurrection was the crucial element in the preaching of the early church. The death and resurrection of Christ was the foundation of all the preaching. This is the core of the gospel. And this is our message today also. You see, when the apostles needed to choose another replacement for Judas, what did they do? They met together in Acts 1.22. They said, we need to appoint somebody who's been with us since the beginning of Jesus' ministry and was a witness to his resurrection. And so, by the help of the Spirit, they chose another man to take Judas's place. When Paul's preaching, I rather Peter's preaching in, in Jerusalem, he speaks about this Jesus, Acts 2, 32, this Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses. Peter is saying, me and the other apostles, we saw him. We ate with him. We drank with him. When Paul's preaching later, he says, Jesus ate and drank with his disciples. We know he ate fish, broiled fish. One time he cooked fish for his disciples. And then Peter is condemning 
the leaders in Jerusalem. He said in Acts 3.15, You killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. There again, evil men sought to do one thing, but God interrupted their plans. He had a greater plan. He raised His Son from the dead. Peter said, We are witnesses of this. We've seen the resurrected Christ. Peter said in Acts 10.41, He appeared not to all the people, but to those of us who were chosen by God, who ate and drank with Him after He rose from the dead. Well, what a wonderful New Testament we have, which records the resurrection of Christ. And today, we have seen that the women or the faithful devoted ones went to anoint the Lord Jesus. And they didn't know how they were going to do it. That big stone was in the way, but they went ahead anyway. And God provided an angel to come down and roll that stone away. They saw the young man, and he began to talk to them. He was an angel. He told them, don't be afraid. I know you're seeking Jesus from Nazareth, the carpenter, who was crucified on a Roman cross for the sins of his people. He came to die, to live and die. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. He has risen. He was raised. He was raised. He, he was resurrected. Is really a, little, a more accurate way of describing what the original Greek language is saying. He was raised. He was raised by God the Father. Now we're going to keep saying, along with the rest of the church, He is risen. Because that's the custom. And, you know, there's not that much difference. The fact of the matter is, he overcame death, he overcame the grave, he rose up. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit were all involved in the resurrection of Christ. When one person of the Trinity works, all three persons are active and working. Well, the women went, they obeyed, the angel, they made the news known. Well, let's be like the women. Let's be devoted to Christ. Let's push forward in our, our service to Him, even though there may be obstacles in the way, trusting God to open up the door that we might serve Him and be devoted to Him. Let us be obedient to the heavenly messengers, the Word of God, and see how the Lord will bless us with his presence as we obey his word. Let's pray. Thank you, wonderful Father, for the accounts recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of Jesus' resurrection, of those who encountered him, of those who encountered the angels. And Lord, you confirmed ten different times Recording the scriptures, the resurrection and appearance 
of your son with his disciples. Lord, we rejoice today that he was the first fruits of our resurrection who believe in him. That he conquered the grave, he conquered sin, he conquered death, he conquered Satan. He conquered all the enemies of God. Our enemies that would seek to destroy us, who seek to live for you. That he's alive on high and he's coming again. He's the victorious Lord, Lord over death and over sin. And we rejoice in him today and give you thanks for his great victory. In our Savior's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.